Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So I heard a story about a, a, a lady, it's a poor lady, very simple lady, and she found herself a, a new church, and it was a very affluent church, wealthy uh, members, educated members, very sophisticated uh, group of people. And, you know, she decided that she wanted to become a member. And so she filled out the uh, appropriate paperwork. She turned it in to, uh, you know, the, the council there. And her membership was rejected. And then she filled out another application to become a member of that church. And her second application was rejected. And so, you know, she tracked down uh, the chair of the membership committee. And she said, you know, hey, I, I filled out a couple membership applications and they keep coming back rejected. What's going on? Can you tell me why my membership is being rejected? And he said, here's the thing. I want you to go and I want you to spend some time with the Lord. Pray to Jesus and ask him, uh, you know, if you really should become a member of this church and, uh, you know, pray and, and he'll reveal to you what the issue is. Well, a couple years go by and uh, the, the chair of this committee runs into this poor woman and she was uh, scrubbing a floor in a hotel that he was staying at. He said, hey, I recognize you. I haven't seen you around the fellowship. Did you ever re-submit uh, you know, your membership form? Uh, she said, no, I didn't. He said, well, did you ever pray about it? Did you ask the Lord uh, what the issue was? And she said, yeah, I prayed. And she said with a big smile on her face, Jesus really spoke to my heart. And he said, don't worry about joining that church. I've been trying to get in for the last 20 years. <laughs> See, they judged her because she was poor, and, in, and there was this whole situation. They were putting these, you know, uh, preconceived ideas of who would fit into their group and, and, and who wouldn't. And sadly, in the church, we can be like that. We can put trips on each other, and we can condemn each other for their convictions. And, and the truth of the matter is, we have no business doing that. It was an issue in Paul's day, just like it was an issue today. And really, that's what Paul's going to deal with this morning as we are uh, opening up chapter 14 of the book of Romans, is that there were those in the church who were kind of looking down their noses at other people in the church, uh, putting burdens on them because of their differences in conviction. And in Paul's day, in the early church, there was kind of a clash of cultures that was going on. The early church, just like the church today, is made up of, of many different people, uh, different uh, maturity levels, backgrounds, different traditions and cultures, experiences, nationalities, ethnicities, and different personal convictions regarding non-essential doctrines. And, you know, it's one of the coolest things about the church. It should be one of our greatest strengths is our diversity. Boy, we sit in here this morning from all sorts of different backgrounds and ages, young and old and rich and poor. And you know what knits us all together? It's not a common hobby or anything like that. It's the blood of Jesus, right? But here we are. So often, our tendency can be to really create our own little groups and to really accept those who agree with our, uh, you know, convictions and to judge others who don't. And we can fall into this trap of really majoring on the minors, 
uh, of blowing the, the small aspects of our faith up into the main things. And it causes great division within the body. And before you know it, we're spending all of our time debating and arguing. Uh, before you know it, the church, God's bride, man, those of us were called the light in this dark place. Uh, we are to be a beacon of a hope in uh, a lost world. Uh, we're supposed to be the, the neon sign pointing the way to Jesus. The world is to look upon us and, and know that we are Christians because of our love for one another. But so often, we spend so much of our energy bickering about non-essential doctrines, which really has a, a big negative effect on the church. It has a big negative effect on our purpose. The Lord has not called us to to debate endlessly about non-essential doctrines. He's called us to win lost souls, to be the light of the world, to go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when we are arguing about baptism, uh, whether or not it's a sprinkle or a dunk or it's forwards or it's backwards, right? we're not out sharing Jesus with people who so desperately need uh, Jesus. Uh, when we're spending time arguing amongst ourselves, we're not about the king's business at all. And it's exactly what was going on in Rome in Paul's day. As he writes this letter, there were a couple issues that they were bickering about, that they were debating, that they were really judging one another about. And that was the eating of meat and the celebration or the observance of special days, uh, both of which are non-essential doctrines. Now, what are non-essential doctrines? And it's important before we get going to make that distinction, to qualify that, that we're not to be divided on non-essential items. Non-essential items are those things, you know, we're not to, to die on that hill. We're not to dig in our heels. Uh, we're really not to, uh, we're, we're not to draw a line in the sand. The non-essential uh, doctrines, man, there's wiggle room. As believers, we can just agree to disagree on non-essential items. Uh, items like uh, election versus predestination, right? Did God choose me or did I choose God, right? We worked through that as we opened up the book of Romans a couple weeks ago. Uh, and the reason that there's an argument in many of these cases is because there are scriptures that support both sides, so did God choose me? Yes, praise the Lord. I'm so glad for that. Did I choose the Lord? Yes, I did. I had to walk in faith and choose him. Which is it? Hey, you know, we could sit around and argue about it until Christmas, but that's not very profitable. Uh, there's other things that we uh, bicker about. Uh, baptism. I mentioned that one. Church politics, how church politics and leadership is to be structured. Eschatology, the study of end times. Is the church going to get raptured before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? You guys want to debate? We can just spend the rest of the time debating that. I have my own personal convictions about that, but it's not something we're to, we're to dig our heels in on, to judge each other about spiritual gifts and how those work and when they are to be uh, appropriately used. Uh, another non-essential item. Uh, it's not that they are unimportant. They're important for sure, but they're not essential. They are not a matter of life and death. That's what I mean when I say non-essential. They're not a matter of life and death. They're not a matter of salvation, but there are essential doctrines. And where, when it comes to the non-essential doctrines, we can just say, hey, I agree to disagree. We can still be brothers in Christ. The non-essential items, we don't budge on those. See, the essential items we do not budge on because the essential items are life and death. 
The essential items are a matter of salvation. Things like, who is Jesus? Right? The deity of Christ. We don't budge on the deity of Christ. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Right? And, and that's important because we can have conversations with our Jehovah's Witness friends and with our Mormon friends, and they say, Jesus, man, I'm saved by Jesus, the blood of Jesus. But they are talking about a different Jesus, a Jesus who isn't God, a Jesus who is a God. Big difference, different Jesus. There's no wiggle room on whether or not Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And what about the fact that we are saved by grace? Right? There's no wiggle room for that. There's nothing that we can do to be saved. We're saved because of God's goodness. We're saved by the cross through Jesus alone. No wiggle room there. It's not Jesus and. It's just Jesus. That's it. No wiggle room. The resurrection. No wiggle room in the resurrection. Right? You've heard me say it. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're all just playing games. Right? The resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. It's key. And so the essential items, man, we cannot budge on those. It's what makes the distinction between the church and the world. It's where the saved ends and the unsaved starts. Uh, the non-essentials, they are uh, debatable. And that's what Paul is talking about here. But sometimes in the church, even today, we will kind of label some things as non-essential items. Say, hey, we're just going to let this into the church. And it's not just doctrines like, you know, the deity of Jesus, salvation by grace, salvation through Jesus alone. But it's, it's also activities. There are activities that we know are wrong because the Bible uh, clearly, plainly condemns them. Murder, uh, sexual immorality. Lying. We can't say, well, you know, we'll just agree to be the lying church. Let's be this the lying church. We can just agree to disagree, right? No, we can't. That's an essential doctrine. But then there's other, you know, uh, behavior in the Bible uh, that is strictly commanded. Uh, we know we are to act that way because the Bible commands us to. We're to love our enemies. We're to love our neighbors uh, as ourselves. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. There's just certain things that are non-negotiable. And so Paul, as we're moving forward in our text this morning, remember, these are non-essential. These are kind of gray areas. This is up to personal conviction, and we, not, uh, we ought not to judge each other when it comes to personal conviction. And that's what Paul is dealing with in the church of, of Rome. And so we'll just jump in, verse 1 of chapter 14. Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks uh, to God, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. 
And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Good words from Paul. So, in Paul's day, the issue that they were dealing with, there was two mainly that Paul addresses in this short passage. And the first one was the eating of meat. Boy, there were those who were really glad to eat meat. They saw no trouble in it whatsoever, but there were those who felt as though it wasn't right or proper or appropriate for a Christian to eat meat. And so the vegetarians laid this heavy burden on the, the meat eaters. And you say, well, you know, that's fine, right? If you want to eat vegetables all day long, man, congratulations. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad for you. And, and there's no problem there at all until the vegetarian said, hey, wait a second. You need to have our convictions too. We don't think it's right to eat meat, and so you're not allowed to meet. That's where the trouble starts, and that's where the trouble always starts. And you're free to have your convictions. It's when you start to impose your convictions upon somebody else that we begin to have problems in the church. Non-essential, remember, that's key. Underlying all of this is non-essential. And so what's the problem with meat anyways? Like, who cares? How could they even take this stance? Remember, the, the early church, even like it is today, and it's this cultural melting pot. But the early church was made up of two groups, primarily, Jew and Gentile. And the Jews had very strict dietary laws, right? They still do today. Uh, that's what koshers. It's not just a delicious pickle. Uh, it's the way that they are to eat. And if you were to go into a practicing Jew's house, they almost have two kitchens. They have one side that's for preparing meat, and then they have the other side that's for everything else, the dairy and everything. Because the Old Testament says that you have to keep the dairy and the blood separate. And they take that very literally. Very strict, uh, stringent uh, dietary laws. They, they don't eat pork. No pork chops, no uh, bacon, no sausage. I mean, man, no shellfish. I love to eat some crab and some lobster, but they're not eating strict dietary laws. But it probably wasn't even the dietary laws. Uh, and Paul doesn't really tell us, so there is a little bit, I'm kind of going on a limb, but we know from other books, we know in 1 Corinthians, that the issue with the meat was that it was sacrificed to idols. And so there were many pagan uh, false gods, and there would be, you know, meat sacrificed to these false pagan gods. Some of it would be taken by the false priests, and some of it would be burned up, but most of that meat would then be sold in open-air markets, and it would be sold at a very good price. And so as a Christian, you're walking through your market like, whoa, I can get me a whole stack of ribeyes for the same price I can get a pound of hamburger. I'm not asking you old questions. We're having ribeyes tonight. Let's go. But then along comes the Christians like, I know where that came from. Johnny Raincloud comes along and says, hey, that meat was sacrificed to idols. You're not allowed to eat that. That was kind of the, the debate that was taking place in Paul's day. 
that the vegetarians were looking down and judging on the meat eaters. It is interesting to me, I would just like to point out this morning, that it says that the the vegetarian is the weaker brother. (laughs) Being a a ribeye-loving pastor, I chuckled at that particular fact. It reminds me of a joke. There was a vegan and a vegetarian, and they went to jump off a cliff to see who would get to the bottom first. Who wins? Society. (laughs) See, because you laughed, you're part of the problem. See, I set you up. You see what I did there? See, we're not to judge each other about our convictions. There are people in my life who I love who are actually vegan, and that's cool, as long as they don't mind me eating ribeyes, and I don't even eat them in front of them. But this was this cultural thing, this, 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 this thing that Paul was dealing with was uh, something that was taking place in the church, and it's something that we're dealing with culturally even today. There's this big movement right now uh, that beef is bad, that meat is bad, that we are contributing to the doom of our planet if we enjoy steaks. And because that is something that is big culturally, it's creeping its way into the church. I read an article yesterday, and it was, uh, it was an article all about why Christians, if you're a true Christian, you should really be a vegan. And, and their number one thing was, you know, cows create methane. Methane is killing our planet. I'll put that in quotations, killing our planet, global crisis. Uh, and so if we were good stewards, we would not eat beef. Their second point, <laughs> which really cracks me up, it has to do with the season that we're in. They said, well, when Jesus was born there in the manger, who was all around him? Farm animals. That should tell us something. God holds a special place in his heart for farm animals because they had a front row seat to the birth of the Savior. That means they're Jesus' friends, and we shouldn't eat Jesus' friends. <laughs> that is a stretch for sure. But it's creeping into the church, right? And, and, and any number of things, we're not to lay burdens on each other concerning these non-essential doctrines. The second thing they were dealing with was holy days or special religious days. And again, I'm being dogmatic with this one because Paul doesn't tell us, but we know that Sabbath was a big deal. And for many of the, the newly saved Jews, they really probably would have had strong convictions concerning the Sabbath and how uh, we should celebrate Christ on the Sabbath. Now, uh, just so we all know, we are not bound to the Sabbath as Christians. Today is not the Sabbath. Today is Sunday. We don't celebrate Jesus on the Sabbath. We celebrate him on, why do we celebrate him on Sunday? Because this is the day he rose from the dead. And we say, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, we're not bound to the Sabbath. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church is really big about saying that if we celebrate Jesus, like we are today, that it's like taking the mark of the beast. That's false doctrine. It's an error. But it's more than that, right? It's not just about are we celebrating Sabbath as Christians or not. We argue about holy days all the time in the church. We just got finished up with Halloween, didn't we? Boy, there's a big division in the church. Do we celebrate Halloween? Do we not celebrate Halloween? My personal conviction about Halloween is I do not like Halloween one bit. I don't like it. I don't see any redeeming qualities about it to celebrate evil and darkness. I'm just not into it. Uh, I I actually loathe it. Uh, But you'll never hear me preach uh, a sermon on Halloween. That's all you get. You just get to know my stance. You know why? Because it's none of my business. It's between you and the Lord. If you want to celebrate Halloween, man, you celebrate Halloween. It's a non-essential doctrine. 
But I will share this with you. You know, I, I, I loathe Halloween, and the Lord has such a sense of humor. Because, uh, you know, I, I've not liked Halloween for a long time. And my youngest son was born on Halloween. <laughs> it was almost as if the Lord said, here, look, it's really not about the day at all. So now when people ask when Abram's birthday is, I look him right in the eye, and I say he was born on Reformation Day. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, we should just celebrate Reformation Day. That's, that's what I vote for. Uh, but it's the same with Easter. It's the same with Christmas, right? Do not write me an email and tell me that Christmas is a pagan holiday and we shouldn't have trees in the church. I am aware of Christmas being a pagan holiday. But see, unlike Halloween, we've redeemed it. We celebrate the birth of Christ. I know Jesus wasn't born in December. Save your email. It's okay. Uh, we are celebrating Jesus, and that's the point. But, but again, it's not up to you to tell me or me to tell you. It's our own personal conviction, and Paul doesn't get into the debate. You notice he doesn't go down the, the list of reasons why it's okay to eat meat or why you shouldn't eat meat. No, he camps out on the fact that like, don't judge each other because of it. What he does say, though, is be convinced in your own minds. Make sure that you are doing what you're doing because the Lord has called you to do it. Make sure that you're eating steak or not eating steak unto the Lord and for no other reason. That's what Paul says. Be careful. If you eat, eat unto the Lord. Make sure that's your conviction. If you're not, man, do it unto the Lord. Make sure that's your conviction. But whatever side of the debate you land on, whatever camp you're in, Paul says, I want you to understand something. I want you to remember something. He says, no one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. But we live to Christ and we die to Christ. He's speaking to us Christians. Uh, as Christians, we don't live to ourselves. We live unto Jesus. We don't die to ourselves. We die unto the Lord. So when we live, boy, when we enjoy the liberty that the Lord has blessed us with, man, I'm so glad for ribeyes. I'm just enjoying this liberty. I'm doing so unto the Lord. But when I die unto the Lord, that is when I walk in sacrifice. Lord, I love ribeyes, but I just feel convicted when I eat them, so I'm going to die unto you. It's not unto myself that I'm dying. It's unto the Lord. So whether we live or die, we die unto the Lord. So Paul's saying, hey, wake up, church. What does it matter? As long as they're doing it unto the Lord. And as a church family, that should be our stance on non-essential items. Man, we should be just giving people high fives because they're walking in what the Lord has called them to walk in, whether we agree or not. And that's what Paul is saying. Make sure that you are convinced in your own mind. Not to mention, Paul, now we're going to kind of get into some, some stuff that really applies to us. Paul says, why do you judge another man's servant? What right do you have? Who are you to judge another man's servant? We have no right to judge anybody else. We have no right to play God in somebody else's life. Uh, we don't get to decide who is in and who is out. See, we can come so myopic. Right? We, we lose focus of the big picture because we're focused in on these little details. What's going on in his life or her life, whether or not I agree or disagree. Reminds me of the story of the, the factory worker. You guys have heard this before. The factory worker who, who was leaving work one day and, and he was pushing a wheelbarrow out. And in that wheelbarrow, he had a, a small box. And he gets to the, the doors of the factory and there's the security guard. And the security guard says, hey, what's in the box? Uh, it's sawdust, the man says. Uh, at the end of the day, they just sweep all the sawdust up and they throw it away. I can use it for a project at home, so it's just sawdust. 
open the box and let me see. Security guard opens the box, looks around, it's just sawdust, sure enough, all right, go for it. Next day rolls around, same exact situation. What's in the box? Sawdust. Let me take a look, it looks at sawdust. Third day, again, fourth day, again, fifth day, again, by this time, same security guard, he says, listen, man, I know you're up to no good. It's driving me crazy. I've got to know, you just let me know and I'll let you, I won't even say anything, I just need to know. And the guy looked at him and said, fine, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> but you become so focused on the little thing that you miss the big picture. And that's what we do as the church. We become so focused on the things that we're really not even called to. It's none of our business. We're not to be playing the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. And that's why Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7. He said, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. When you have a log in your own eye. Remember when Peter denied Jesus? Three times he denied Jesus. and He was broken about it. Remember when Jesus was buried? Peter was just like, man, I'm going back to fishing. Just completely discouraged. But then Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus restored Peter. And for the three times that Peter said, I deny the Lord, Jesus gave him the opportunity to say, I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then follow me. Then feed my sheep. But after that took place, right, they heard somebody behind him, and it was John. And Peter said, well, what about this man? And you remember what Jesus told to Peter? He said, you follow me. Jesus said, you worry about Peter, Pete. You worry about yourself and let me worry about John because he belongs to me. And that's a good word for us. Well, what about this man, Lord? Or what about this woman, Lord? You worry about you. You walk out your life and remember that they will answer to me. That they will uh, stand or fall. And Jesus says, what was our text say? What was Paul saying about the Lord? That we stand because of the Lord and he will be able to make us stand. See, when we come to a brother or sister with a critical eye, when we come to a brother or sister with, with a, a condemning spirit, what we're really saying when we say, hey, listen, you need to be more spiritual than you are. You're not spiritual enough. What we're really saying is God's grace is sufficient for me, but God's grace isn't sufficient for you. See, we forget where the Lord has taken us from. We forget the things that the Lord has brought us through, the things that the Lord has delivered us from, and, and we can be very critical of, of other people. And this section of Scripture is very encouraging to me because it reminds me that, you know, I don't stand before men. I don't answer to men. I'm so glad that my walk with the Lord is not dependent on uh, Christian opinion. But Jesus is my judge. I will answer to him. And that encourages me because he's going to see me through. He's going to be the one that causes me to stand. All my faults, all my flaws, all my failures, Jesus is aware of all of them. And he says, I'm going to see you through. And so don't let anybody judge you on non-essential things. You don't answer to men. You answer to Jesus. But you will answer to Jesus. And that's what Paul finishes this section with there in verse 10. And I'll reread it to bring us up to speed. Verse 10 says, uh, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written... As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Paul says everybody is going to give an account to God. Every single one of us. 
Every single human knee will bow. Every single human tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord without exception. We will all stand before Jesus and be judged. And does that make you swallow hard this morning? Oh man, I don't like the sound of that. Me either. And I'm glad that there's two different judgments. There's one judgment that we all will face as believers. It's called the the judgment seat of Christ that Paul calls it, or the Bema seat judgment. And then there's the second judgment. That's the judgment that all unbelievers will face. And that is called the white throne judgment. Now, who is Paul addressing in this letter to the Romans? Well, the Romans, I gave it away, but the Roman church, he's talking to believers. And this is the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. This is what what Paul says. So what is the judgment seat of Christ? What is Paul being, uh, what is Paul talking about? What is this judgment that we're going to face, this Bema seat judgment? This is a time after the, the rapture where all Christians will stand before the Lord and we will give an account to Jesus for our actions. We will give an account for what we did with our time and with our talents and with our energy and with our finances. But our actions are not judged unto condemnation. This is not a judgment to see whether or not we were good enough to get into heaven. This is not a judgment to judge our sin. Why is this not a judgment to judge our sin? Because Jesus was already judged for our sin. Jesus already paid the price for our sin. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us. Though our sins be as scarlet, they've been washed white as snow. They've been cast into the depths of the sea. They are remembered no more. We get into heaven not because we did the right thing, but because we put our faith in the right person, that is Jesus. We get into heaven not on our own merits, but on Jesus's merits. The curse of sin has been removed, the price has been paid, and that was all done on the cross of Calvary. We're not judged because Jesus was already judged in our place. There's a story about uh, a family of pioneers making their way west across the prairie. And they saw a a smoke on the horizon, and they knew that a prairie fire was coming, and prairie fires were a big deal. You could not outrun a prairie fire on foot. You could not even outrun a prairie fire on a horse if the wind was blowing. And so it was a, a big deal. There was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to hide. There was no river to cross. There was a fire that was rushing at them. And so one of the pioneers came up with a plan, and he lit his own fire and began to burn the grass from where he was out so that when that fire came, it would not be able to burn his family because he had already burned up all the fuel. But there was a little girl there in the party who saw as the flames uh, began to approach, she was terrified, and she asked her dad, are you sure we're not going to get burned up? And her dad said, my child, the flames cannot reach us here, for we are standing where the fire has already been. And what a beautiful picture that is of our relationship to Jesus. God's judgment cannot scorch us, won't burn us, won't touch us, because we are standing, boy, in Christ, and he already took the flames of judgment for us. So the Bema Seat judgment is not about judging our sins. It's not about whether or not we're going to get into heaven. Well, then what is it about? What are our actions being judged for? It is a judgment unto rewards. And that's what the Bema Seat actually is. 
uh, there back in the, the ancient days when they had the Olympics, there was the, the Bema Sea. It was the platform where the judge would watch to see who the winner was in order to hand out prizes. And, and that's what the Bema Sea judgment is all about. We're going to give an answer for all of our actions, our thoughts, what we did with what the Lord has given us. Did we invest them? Did we produce something of value, worthwhile, or did we squander it on you know, uh, irresponsible, false, uh, wicked motives, and, and just things that didn't glorify the Lord at all. Right? First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul gives us an illustration of what this looks like. He, he talks of himself as a master builder and says, we can't build on any other foundation other than that foundation which has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. That's the base. You can't dip below the foundation. That's solid. It's never going anywhere. But what do we put, what do we build onto that foundation? As our lives as Christians, you're building a life. What are you building with on that foundation of Jesus? And Paul says we can build with wood, hay, and stubble, or we can build with silver and gold and precious stones. But when that beam of seat judgment comes, Fire will burn up all of our works that were done with false motives, with uh, wrong intentions. All of that is what we built with wood, hay, and stubble. And it says that we'll suffer loss, but we'll enter into heaven. You say, well, how does that work? Think if you just you, know, you spent your life building a house and you were there asleep in your new house and you heard the, the sound of the smoke detector going off. And you and your family barely escaped and you jumped out the window and you turned around and you saw your brand new house burned to the ground. Boy, there would be lost or you'd be bummed. But really, the important thing is you're alive. And we can't quite understand what it looks like and that's just an illustration that is me doing my best to explain it. But we will suffer loss. We'll be bummed about the things that we could have done, should have done, but didn't do. But Paul, he says, man, I run this race, really not in vain. He runs the race for the reward. Right? He runs the race of life with the end in sight. And we ought to live our lives that way too. See, we might not care about rewards now. And I've shared with you guys before, it was kind of a point of contention in my life. It's something I used to argue with the Lord about. Lord, I don't want to feel like I'm trying to earn rewards in heaven when I, I serve you. I, I just want to, to, you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm serving you because I love you. And very clearly, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, get over it. I've told you that you're going to care someday because you're going to care someday. Just trust me. I know your heart. You don't have to worry about it. Just live your life with the end in mind and fight the good fight and race to win. Make your life count. And the Bible tells us in many different scriptures that we don't have time to get into that we're going to receive, receive these rewards in the form of crowns. Very interesting to me because we see that we will take those crowns eventually and we'll just lay them at Jesus' feet anyways beautiful, beautiful thing. And so we will all stand before the Lord, even as Christians, and give an account. The beam of seat judgment, not to be confused with the white throne judgment. Beam of seat rewards. Our sins are remembered no more. It's only rewards, actions that, that are worth rewarding that we're going to be discussing. The white throne judgment, however, is a completely different situation, and we see that at the end of Revelation. And that judgment is described as a fiery, scary, permanent brutal judgment, whereby every single person will stand before the Lord and give an account of every thought and action, every deed they ever did, but not for the sake of rewards, 
to see if they made the grade, to see if they were good enough to inherit heaven, to see if they were good enough to please God. And what do we know about our works and our ability to please God through our works? It's an impossibility. Your best effort on your best day is filthy rags compared to the righteousness of the Lord. His standard is perfection in thought and in deed from the time that you're born till the time that you die. You say, who could possibly be saved? Then nobody outside of those who put their faith in Jesus. See, at the Bema seat, we'll confess Jesus. Our knees will bow. Our tongue will confess Lord and Savior. But the world, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess Jesus. He's the judge, though. And their life is in their hands. And they will confess his name, but it will be too late. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. And the Bible describes their fate as a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where there's loneliness and regret and remorse and pain and suffering. But that's not what God wants for you. That's not God's plan for us. His will is that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. His will is that we would be saved, but he will let you choose hell if you want to, but you'll have to step over his dead body to get there. And that's the truth. And so as we consider this, see, here's the thing is that we're really good at taking eternity and pushing it down into that place where we don't think about it, especially in the West, because we don't like to think about death. And it's almost like we can really live our whole lives and seemingly get away with sin. But the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. See, and that's the thing. You don't want to enter into eternity and try to make it into glory by your own efforts. You want to trust in Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right? For us who are believers, boy, we can be greatly encouraged this morning. Man, nobody is our judge but the Lord. The one who knows my faults and failures, my shortcomings. The one who died for me even while I was still a sinner. He's the one who's going to see me through. He's the one who's got me. I don't have to worry about what people think. We as Christians can be greatly encouraged this morning. Hey, it's not our place to be worried about other people. It's not our place to be judge. It's not our place to, to play the Holy Spirit. Man, we can be really corrected in that area. Let's be those who are known for our love for one another. We can be encouraged as Christians this morning knowing, man, our future is secure. Man, we're bound for glory. And when we stand before Jesus... At the judgment seat of Christ, it will be for rewards. And I long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I pray for you honestly this morning that if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never had your sins forgiven, today is the day. Today is the, He's willing. His arms are open. He desires to forgive you. You can leave this place this morning knowing that your eternity is secure and that you belong to Jesus. Well, you don't understand the things I've done and the places I've gone. I don't care. You don't understand what I'm currently wrestling with. doesn't matter. You come to Jesus just as you are, and he will change your heart. Now, once you're saved, he didn't save you to leave you where you are. 
He'll begin to work things out of your life, but you don't have to clean up your life before you come to the Lord. And I want you to know this morning that all that's required of us, how are we saved? How do we take advantage of this free gift that God has given to us, eternal life? You accept it. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. That he's God. He died on the cross in our place. That he rose from the grave three days later. It's not just lip service. You have to mean it. And God sees your heart. But that's how you're saved. And so, man, it's encouraging for all of us because we're all saved. Right? Judgment day is coming one way or the other. Are you ready? Please don't leave this place without being ready. As Christians, man, let's let us live our lives running a race for the prize. If you're an unbeliever, be surrendered to Jesus today because you'll be surrendered to him someday and then it will be too late. Amen? Amen. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you again so much for what you've done for us, for paying the price that we had no way of paying. Lord, that we might find life eternally in you, that we might be secure forever when we put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, thank you that you were judged on the cross, that I might experience freedom, that all of my sin was poured out upon you. And as we come to the table, Lord, your word says that we are to to judge ourselves, that we are to examine ourselves as we come to the table. If there's anything in there that you've been dealing with us and convicting us, that we're we're to deal with that, Lord, before we come to the table. Lord, and we thank you for the future judgment, Lord, where we're going to receive rewards. And I just pray, Lord, that as we come to the table this morning and we remember the fact that you were punished, that you were judged for us, as we confess our sins, Lord, and we examine our own hearts and judge ourselves this morning, as we remember, Lord, the reality of our future, Lord, as we hold the juice and the cracker in our hand, that we would truly remember that that was your body broken for us, that that was the cup, your blood, that was poured out for us, that we might be saved and set free. And as we take those elements in again, Lord, I pray that we would take in those promises, that we would just be renewed and refreshed this morning. Thank you again, Lord, for your love for us. Lord, thank you for the hope of heaven. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.